it comes down to what do you want? I know a lot of recruiters who never want to hire. That's just not who they are. But understand what type of pitfalls that comes along with. So I understand it's a risk. I believe it's a bigger risk, not the hire. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by Jeff Herzog. Jeff is the president of Fortune Personnel Consultants, also known as FPC, which is an executive search franchisor with 62 offices and has been recognized in the top 1% of professional search firms in the United States. In addition to running the franchise operation, Jeff is also a billing manager, running both a desk and an office. Jeff has over 20 years experience and has placed mid to senior level executives in companies around the country. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Mark. Great to, great to be here. Fantastic. So you were introduced to me by our mutual friend, Doug Bucci, who I've interviewed a couple of times now. So shout out to, to Doug. Um, great guy. So much energy. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and uh, listen, the, where I'd like to start is because you have 62 offices around the country, you have kind of a privileged perspective in that you, you've you got a good overview of the entire market and what's happening. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing that perspective with us in terms of what you're seeing happening in the market now and how that compares with you know last year and so on. Yeah, it's perfect timing just because we came out of our, our, our quarterly board meeting last this past Tuesday. So we were able to compile all of our statistics and take a look at year over year numbers. And let's keep in mind those year over year numbers are relatively legitimate because it was pre-COVID, right? So, I mean, January, February, March last year were not bad months. Um, obviously, things came to a screeching halt, and we were actually looking at what April, May, and June looked like, and we'd probably rather not look at that uh, any longer now that we're where we are. But um, I'll tell you, Mark, the pendulum has swung so far so fast. Uh, we're really excited. We went from, you know, where do we get our next job order to how do we handle all these job orders? Uh, Great. Revenue for across the system uh, was up 25%. And, and keep in mind, we work in 40 different industries, 40 different disciplines. So it's, it's, a, it's a very good cross-section of what the market um, will bear. And we did see an uptick of 33% in sheer volume of placements. Uh, total job orders are way up. First level interviews, which first level interviews, where which is what we use as our sort of key performance indicator, is when you get somebody in front of face to face in front of uh, a company. Okay, it's not a telephone interview or anything of the sort. We're deciding whether or not we, you know, include a video interview is as a first level. But we've been asking the question of our clients: if we were if there was no such thing as COVID, would you have brought this person in face-to-face to decide whether or not it's a first-level interview? But every category that we track was up into double digits. Wow. Incredible. That's uh, that's good news. That's very good news. news. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Any other um, metrics or observations that like you data that you're able to share um, that you think is pretty reflective of the overall market? 
Well, I think um, along with the, this huge increase, I mean, we've actually seen a leveling off in our average fee. Where last several years, we've actually seen a consistent increase in our average fee, and um, you know, our average fee is upwards of thirty-two thousand dollars. So that gives you some idea as to where our placements are. If you you know reverse the numbers, you're, you're looking at an average salary of one hundred thirty, one hundred forty thousand dollars based on what our fee percentage is. Um, we have also seen an enormous increase, unfortunately, in turndowns. Uh, you know, we candidates that we place and we spend a lot of time in, you know, it's starting to become a little bit of a passe term, but in science, technology, engineering and math, um, yeah. we have a, a very big focus on the life sciences, on the industrial sector, um, you know, reonshoring of factories, you know, adjustments in supply chain, um, a refocus on domestic uh, companies and logistics has been a huge um, area for us. We're, we, we've, we've seen these types of candidates just in great demand and are susceptible to counter offers as well as offers from other companies. And um, there are so many examples of, of, of this. Um, so for every you know placement that we're making, I personally had four turndowns in the month of March. Um, oh my so goodness. Four separate jobs in three different companies, four turndowns. So, um, but we still had a good month. So it kind of tells you um, where we are in the market. But I think the biggest concern right now is how do we capture uh, as much of the market as possible? Because all predictions are saying that, you know, we should get Q1 GDP numbers here in the States in a couple of weeks. Um, actually, shorter than that. We're looking at probably a 5% GDP growth in Q1. We're looking for much faster growth throughout the rest of the year as reopening continues. I mean, some people are predicting upwards of 10% GDP growth. And to, to kind of frame that for you, it took almost five years after the financial crisis for GDP to grow 6%, right? So we're looking at an economy that's going to burn really hot. But the question is, is how long is that going to last before the Fed decides that they need to bring interest rates, they need to raise interest rates, mm -hmm. slow the economy a little bit. So what we're strategizing about around the country is how do we hire, how do we leverage technology, how do we utilize virtual assistance around the, around the world perhaps mm -hmm. to be able to generate applicant flow um, because it's it's a challenge and I think it's a challenge that is, it, it, we're not going to be able to solve anytime soon. Wow. So that could be an interesting thing to explore. But before before we go there, could you say a little more about, you know, this issue? Because I think turndowns, counteroffers, that's going to be a theme in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is is driving that? So companies are making so many mistakes, right? We often talk about companies that have an ego. Right. Because mm -hmm. they think that they are the the number one on the block, that they can take their time. They can make mistakes throughout the process, yet still wind up hiring the people that they want to hire. I, I have a, a company that I'm, I'm dealing with that will remain nameless, but um, they, they, they've taken two and a half weeks to put a candidate through uh, 12 hour long video calls with 10 different people. Oh, um, my goodness. Final round interviews today. Um, and uh, candidate yesterday floated an email to the hiring manager saying, um, I just want to let you know that um, I have two other offers uh, that are pending right now and I have to give them answers by Monday. So they called me and saying, 
you know, did you not know about this? I said, you know, in the matter of in a matter of an afternoon, a company could put five people in a panel interview in a row, make a decision and hire somebody right out from under you. So I think when it comes to, you know, other offers, candidates, you you just have to as, as we have to be in touch with with our people on a consistent basis, even if you don't have immediate feedback from a company. You need to be in touch. You need to ask candidates what is going on in their world, what has changed since the last time we talked, right? So that's as it relates to to turndowns because of other offers. And then companies are getting wise to the fact that people are starting to leave in droves and they are taking the shackles off and making um, title changes, promotions, massive salary increases to retain their people because I guess they're starting to realize that it is just so much more expensive uh, to lose somebody and have to go out and rehire someone than it is just to retain them. Not to, not that I believe counter offers are a smart thing. I really don't. I, you know, most of them, um, the, uh, the old adage is what 90% of turn of, uh, of counter offers don't work out after the first six months. I don't necessarily right. know if that's true, but I do know that's that what I was, I was taught the exact same statistic, uh, yeah. to use in that conversation with the candidate. But Listen, what then advice are you giving your clients either early or throughout the process in order to try and, you know, reduce the risk of this happening? Start with the end in mind and let's let's work backwards and, you know, let's try to avoid landmines before we have to run into them and Mm. setting up dates for interviews ahead of time. Making commitments myself that I will get candidates in front of clients at a certain time. And if I do, we need to keep to a schedule because if I'm going to go do the work to do that, I need to make sure that you pull through your end. You know, we've we've seen this over and over again. And we talk about companies that have good processes for hiring and interviewing and ones that don't. And, you know, when I when when I have a, a good client that I may have made several placements with, their process is so tight that they pull through everything I'm selling, right? Let's be honest, in this marketplace right now, we truly have to sell our candidates to throw their hat in the ring as much as we have to sell clients why they should use us. So if I sell somebody on a company as to why it's a great opportunity, the company really needs to make sure that they pull through that process and that they're tight with their timing, their expectations, they are organized um, because you see this little crack in the armor at a company, it may make a candidate look the other way. I had a a company uh, just a couple weeks ago um, Candidate, I, after the after the interview, the candidate um, said it was really an awkward video interview. The camera of the hiring manager was never on. I said that's so mm. strange. Um, she said so. It was you know I was I was talking to a blank screen, which was a little weird. She wound up saying I, I can't get over the awkwardness, and I'm actually just going to have to walk away. Um, meanwhile, the the hiring manager did. Um, did not know that the camera was not on. So, you know, the littlest bit, littlest crack in the armor, a candidate may say, ah, you know what, I've got three other things going on. Let me just head in that direction. Right, right. And do you think employers haven't woken up to the fact that the market has changed so so much and, you know, so quickly, or, you know, they still think that it's a, it's a buyer's market? Some have, some haven't. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I work with a, a company, an amazing company last year that I continue to work with that took advantage of what COVID brought. They were well capitalized mm-hmm. and they understood even during COVID that they had to sell candidates 
because right. of what they're looking for are very technical individuals within pharmaceutical, biotech, and medical device companies. So they had, they know that even even during COVID, they were even more in more of demand, um, right. and that carries through. So um, we have an interesting dynamic in, in the U.S. right now. There are so many small companies that are trying to grow that are vying for that talent, that it, it makes the market incredibly uh, competitive for, for the right people. Totally, absolutely. So but just before we move on from this topic then, um, what what is the conversation like with clients where, because sometimes at the beginning of the process and they tell you, you know, Oh yeah, no problem. We we're gonna have a smooth process. We we you know we want to make a quick decision, et cetera, et cetera. We'll we're definitely gonna work to attract the right people. But then the reality, the logistics of their process, it, it's taking too long. There's too many hoops and so on. What do you? What's the conversation you're having with clients at that stage to try and get them back on track? Well, first things first. I don't <laughs> think people give enough credence to the amount of time we as recruiters spend making candidates look good and making sure companies don't look bad, right? right. So <laughs> we are the ones who keep the wheels on the cart moving along. You know, when well it's said. right, we're not, gonna tr we're not gonna try to fit a square peg in a round hole, at least I don't, because I yeah. this is a long-term game for me, right? I don't wanna yeah. make short-term decisions or push somebody down a company's throat, but I find myself, Mark, more and more spending time protecting the image of the company versus trying to make my candidates look good. Right. Mm, so yeah. first and foremost, we have to make sure, again, I said it earlier, stay in touch with people, make sure you are, are, are setting the expectations properly. And then you have to let your companies know when you see potential landmines ahead of them, even if they don't want to listen to you. This is where you have to. It's critical you have a relationship with the hiring manager and human resources because mm. every company has a different dynamic and each of those 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 people pull different levers to ensure that uh, that that they're able to accomplish what they want to accomplish. So um, it, it, it's making sure and this is where us at, uh, where we move past being executive recruiters and truly, I believe, become consultants. And I don't think we're given enough credit for the amount of consultation we do as it relates to salary ranges, relocation expectations, what benefits are, what the market will bear. And that's why I truly I look at myself as a student of the industry, a student of the economy. Um, I read a lot. And if I can draw on data true empirical data about what is going on in the marketplace. And look, our system is large enough and the, the data is the, the sample size of the data is large enough that I can generate legitimate statistics to be able to share with clients that kind of make them say, wow, you know what? Sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Let's make sure we, that we adjust. Um, so it's really just having the right expectations and forethought, setting a candidate's expectations properly. And then again, keeping the wheels on the card as it goes forward. Great analogy. And that's so powerful to have actual data to, to influence clients' perceptions because then it really, you know, I, I think it's much more powerful than just the opinion of one recruiter. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, you mentioned that, you know, delivering candidates is now the more difficult part rather than necessarily getting job orders. And you started talking about technology and VAs. Could you elaborate on what you guys are doing there? 
Sure. Um, we've we've put together a variety of task forces to ensure that we're doing we're utilizing our own um, ATS and our CTS, CRM properly. Um, we're exploring some of our offices have continued to use virtual assistants very effectively um, and and to make sure. But 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 only in certain parts of the market. You know, one one company that we work with overseas has offered to do everything up until you know actually pre-screening candidates, and we believe that you know there's a certain place for VAs to, to to source to cut down some of that 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 really tedious work to search through mm -hmm. resumes, search through profiles. Um, we've done a lot. Look, we, we believe a lot of our success in the history of our company, and we were founded in 1959. Um, wow. Okay. We've I, I've been uh, an owner of the the company since 2007. Now, um, one of the things that we attribute the, the main things we attribute our success is to conti continuous learning. Right. And, you know, look, I've been in this industry since before we had computers on our desk. And then it was like we had one computer in the office that had monster.com and we had to switch <laughs> off every day to go get monster. You know, I mean, so continuing to stay ahead of the market. Um, a woman who works for me, who's worked for me for 14 years now, she's a whiz with LinkedIn um, recruiter and we're she's constantly doing trainings upgrading the talent, um, making sure that we're teaching people um, little tips and tricks. And, and I, I truly believe that being part of a franchise system and this group think, right, I'm constantly having people come to me and saying, hey, Jeff, can you check out this technology? And what we do in my office, in my recruiting office in New York is we'll test that technology. Oftentimes, I'll come back to them and say it's not worth it. Um, whether it's postings, whether it's different AI, um, you know, uh, software, whatever the case may be, we're testing it. We've whittled it down to a couple of key technologies that we believe are useful. Um, we press on our ATS provider to make sure that um, we're customizing certain searches. We're making sure that it speaks the language that we speak. And, you know, technology, look, I... I'll forever say this is a human business. And there was an article written by McKinsey not too long ago about how AI and automation is going to make us more efficient, but it's <laughs> never going to replace recruiters. You know, maybe I'm a traditionalist, but I truly believe coming out of COVID especially, and right, it's been through every, I, back in 2000 and 2001, I worked for a company called headhunter.net which you may okay. remember, we were bought by careerbuilder.com and uh, then we were bought by the newspaper companies, right? So I saw internet recruiting go like this and then level off. And then in 2000, I was, I was spending my days running around New York City telling people, don't ever use recruiters again. You don't have to use recruiters. In 2007, I saw an opportunity to get back into the business, and I think everybody's kind of realized now that um, technology is a tool, but this is a human business, and that as long as we come up with a, and Doug puts his finger the best on this, a high-tech, high-touch process, we are going to win long-term. So it's really balancing, not, not overplaying your hand with technology, um, and not underplaying the importance of the human connection. Uh, well said, that, that makes total sense to me. So I'm a huge believer in, in using uh, virtual assistants. My virtual assistant, Rachel, has been with me for three years, I think now. Um, she's based in the Philippines and just has been a huge asset. Um, and... But is that sort of just up to the individual franchisee, whether they want to use a VA or not, or how, how is that managed? 
So what you know, we we sorted through a whole host of different providers years ago and did some trials with them, and we came up with a couple of options. Um, it's it's something we don't we don't force anybody to use anything. I think a good part about um, our franchise is that we will give you all the tools and a roadmap for success, mm-hmm. and we. But we understand people want to build their own culture. We understand that people have a variety of skills as it relates to technology. Um, So we make the tools available. We often have group purchases where we can, you know, really reduce cost of certain uh, platforms. Um, But overall, everybody gets to choose. Some people would never consider using an overseas assistant. Um, It's not actually something I use personally. I used to. I don't anymore. But some of our offices are currently using them. Got it. And in terms of technology, then what what would you say has been one of the most valuable, aside from your ATS system that you know you that you rely on? Well, I sure don't want to do a pitch for LinkedIn. That's for sure. I think they've kind of sold <laughs> themselves, but uh, that's a whole different story. We won't go into yeah. that on this call. Um, no but uh, you know, they've kind of cornered the market in a lot of respects. But I can't deny the fact that LinkedIn Recruiter Pro has been uh, a huge help. Um, what I want, what I encourage my people to understand is that it doesn't own the world, and that we can't mm-hmm. spend our entire life utilizing that. Right. Zoom info. Zoom info has been a huge help for us. Um, we, we, we're in it every day, but that's another one that is very, very expensive um, yeah. unless you buy as a group. Um, and they've been great um, as it relates to buying as a group. So we, okay. it's one of the benefits of being a franchisee. So um, so I think, um, you know, the, the combination that we have, you know, people who are using Lucia and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even um, people, more and more people have been using MyRobot to kind of spread out and source sort of an overlay technology on LinkedIn. My sense is, I mean, LinkedIn has a task force that that is constantly looking at, um, you know, uh, platforms that utilize their content and data and shutting them down and moving things and changing. So I don't necessarily stand by those um, too much because you never know if it's going to be gone tomorrow. Exactly. No, absolutely. That's true. So speaking of human, uh, it being a human business, but one also where we leverage technology. Let's talk about business development um, and or recruiting. I mean, it's still contacting people, right? Uh, in either case, whether, you know, and I guess at the level of the market you're operating in, clients and candidates might be the same person just on different days. Um, so what is has been for you the most effective strategy for reaching difficult to reach people? And actually sure. getting a conversation because, you know, the the thing now is it's easy to identify people and it's actually not that hard to get their contact info, but getting them to engage with you in a conversation is the real art form. So what's the what's the Jeff Herzog secret? Well, I don't necessarily know that's my secret as much as it's, you know, sort of the amalgamation of the amount of years and people. Um, here in my office, um, I think we have something like 157 years of recruitment experience at our corporate <laughs> office. So, and I'm not exaggerating, literally 157 years of experience. Um, so you bring up a really good point that the divide between business development with hiring managers and going out to get jobs is not too dissimilar to the process now of what we need to do to go get candidates, right? And so much so that we did a business development workshop with our group. We had a, a, an opt-in of about 24 people who went through a two-week course 
we developed a cadence, a sales cadence that, you know, back in the day, we used to just look at the number of dials, right? It was yeah. what it was, was number of dials. Now it's a matter of outbound efforts. And how many times have you called, emailed, texted, um, and sent in mails um, and a connection in a 14-day period? So we had requests after the business development workshop because there, we got rave reviews to actually do a candidate recruitment workshop with the, developing the same cadence because it's the exact same process these days. Of course. So it is a combination. Well, let me take a half step back. You, you, you hit the nose right on the hit, – hit the nail right on the head um, when you said that um, we have so much more information today than we ever had before but so much less connection, right? I mean, we have, I mean, I find people's, you know, I don't even want to tell you, I mean, what you can gain, you know, from just doing a little bit of internet research, some of which you probably shouldn't be doing. But the fact of the matter is we have more information on people than ever before, but I just can't get them on the phone, right? So it is definitely more challenging. Somebody said to me a while back, how did you do this business before LinkedIn? And I laughed. I, I, I said, you know what? I used to, if I dialed the phone 50 times in a day, I used to have 27 conversations. Yeah. And it was amazing. And then I'd get calls back from my voicemails, which was really, you know, made for a very productive day, right? Um, today, not so much. Um, I believe that business development, success in business development is really a combination of, of, of three things. So it's intuition, right? And, and, and understanding, you don't wanna call the same person at the same time every day if you're not getting them on the phone, right? Be more intuitive, understand, try them, identify somebody that you wanna call and that falls into your specialty and figure out a way to get them on the phone and call early, call late. I've always been a proponent of calling before 9 a.m. and after 5.30, that's one thing. So intuition combined with research slash business intelligence, right? I consume more information in a day from 5.30 in the morning until late at night I am reading. I'm passionate about my market. I'm passionate about, um, you know, innovative technologies and I'm fascinated by really smart people, right? But you gotta read, you gotta learn, you gotta stay up to date within your market because that's what's going to, one of my recruiters just did an amazing job um, she found out that Novartis was closing a plant out in Denver. Um, phenomenal group of talent there. She wound up finding a perfect candidate for one of her jobs in Maryland, presented them before he can be out on the market at all. She reached out to him, made the placement like that because she did her research and she saw that they were closing a plant. She was able to get access to that talent. So you combine intuition with business intelligence and last but not least, tried and true good old fashioned brute force. You need to break a sweat, Mark. I tell people that all the time. You've got to be exhausted. When I started, I was 18 years old. Um, I, I It was the summer after I graduated high school before I went to college. Um, I didn't have a summer job. And uh, it was 1990. And my neighbor worked for uh, Smith Barney, the old brokerage firm. Um, and he said that there are a couple of brokers in our office that need um, what I thought was a I thought he said it was a code caller. So I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Code caller. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means, but I'll go and I'll interview um, for the job. Sure enough, I land the job. Um, and I was then, I then proceeded to make 250 dials a day to people at home. People who, you know, no, he died three years ago. No, getting hung <laughs> okay. up on all day long. That to me was hard. That was brute force. It makes what we do today 
look like child's play. So um, it is not easy, but if you're focused, you're intuitive, you're intelligent, and you put you know, break a sweat every day, you can do this business. Awesome. I love it. So intuition, business intelligence, brute force. Um, that's awesome. And have, in your opinion, like what is the ideal cadence which would combine phone, text, and mail, connection requests, emails, and so on? Is there a, you know, is there a recipe that you follow? Seven, uh, seven touches in 14 days. Um, okay. Yeah. And that combination could be a combination of things. You know, there are some people who like to send an in-mail before they make a call. There are some people who like to leave a voicemail and send an in-mail and say, I just left you a voicemail. Right. And then um, it's a variety of things. And, and, and um, just being motivated. We've had people in the past, Mark, that have dialed to a number. Right. So there's no intuition. They don't know the people mm. they're calling. Everybody is on a they're on a call list. And they just dial because they believe, like my boss said, made make 50 dials, so I made 50 dials. I didn't do anything with it, but I made 50 dials. That's mm. where you have to combine all three of those things to have the intuition, the intelligence of why am I calling this person, yeah. and then the brute force just to, to, to be a pain in the ass, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, you, you've just, what you just described is someone going through the motions mm -hmm. rather than someone who is working with intentionality and uh, to achieve a, you know, an outcome and has really thought about what they're doing um, and is bringing everything that they know about the market, about that particular customer, about you know, the, the, the firm they represent, bringing all of that to bear to try and spark a connection with someone. And, uh, and that does require the intuition and the intelligence and everything else for sure. Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I want to encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. I'm amazed that you're able to run a franchise operation or a franchise system and you're still, are you still making placements? Hopefully every month, yes. All right. So, I mean, that sounds like, and, and do you, you have an office as well? Mm-hmm. I have recruiters okay. who work for me. Yep. So, because this is really three, potentially three full-time jobs, right? You could just spend your full-time running the franchise system or just being a 
solo recruiter running a desk or running an, uh, a, a team without necessarily billing and you're doing all three of those, how do you, how have you managed to pull that off? Because, and the reason I ask, uh, most of the people listening aren't going to be running a franchise, obviously, but sure. everybody I know feels like they're super busy, stretched, overwhelmed. And so, you know, that is a universal kind of experience. So it's interesting because I think the challenge that you're talking about is is a blessing and a curse or, you know, a challenge and an asset all in one, right? Because the closer that I stay to my recruiting business, I think the better suited I am to run a franchisor. Um, the, the fact is, is I've never want, wanted um, to, I, I've never wanted to be in a position where any of my franchisees can look at me and say, Jeff, you just don't know what it's like in the market right now. You just yeah. don't understand. Um, so, so much of it comes down to resource allocation. We are, so many people in our business are so myopic as it relates to what we do. And they're so stayed in their traditional methodology of being a 360 lifecycle recruiter. And oftentimes they don't hire enough. They don't leverage the technology. They don't, you know, have virtual assistance. Um, so it's really important to spend time working on your business. Even if you're a single desk recruiter on this call right now, you have to look at what you do as a business. All right, mm -hmm. it's not just a desk, you're not just a recruiter, it is a full-fledged business and you need to have, figure out how to be more efficient. And, you know, I, I've heard people who, you know, they're a recruiter, but things are tough, so they're going out and getting a retail job and, you know, at night or something like that. To oh me, goodness. that's crazy because, yeah. you know, I understand you got to make more money, but guess what? I bet you if you make one more placement a year, you don't have to work another job, right? Most yeah. of us are in that position. Um, so for me personally, my, my, my um, sort of the, the, the continuum of my experience as a business owner had, has ebbed and flowed. Okay, when I first came into the business, um, my father and I own Fortune Franchise Corporation together. So we're, oh, okay. uh, we're the franchisor of FPC offices around the country, okay? Mm -hmm. We both started with FPC years and years and years ago. In the late 90s, I started with FPC. Um, but when, we, when I first came into the business, what I did was I started my own franchise from scratch and had nothing to do with the franchisor. Spent the first five years building a, de building a desk, building a business, um, really learning it from the ground up um, as a business owner. And that's really where I learned, you know, resource allocation and making sure um, that, you know, we were we were just I, I always wanted to be at the top of the heap because ultimately I was supposed to come, you know, to be part of the franchisor. And I wanted people to know that I know what I'm doing. So then. 2012, 13, uh, 14, I decided that maybe I'm going to start moving more towards the franchisor and wind down my recruiting business. So, that, you know, I came in, I spent a lot of my time in franchise development, adding new offices. What the last two years has taught me is that they're both very integral in making sure that each other um, uh, plays off the other. I do a lot of, I was the number one, we, we do a lot of exchange in our system. So, you know, about a, a 62 office, about 140 recruiters, a lot of us work together, right? Because we, you know, maybe I don't place, you know, quality individuals in pharma and in, in biotech, but I have an office that does 
place that type of people. So if I have a client who asks me for a need, I work with that other office to make a placement and we split it 50-50. We have a very robust exchange network. As a matter of fact, during COVID, our num exchange numbers were up 72% over 2019, which hmm. we leaned on each other. We were only down 15% yeah. as a system in 2020 versus 2019. If you told me we're going to wind up with a pandemic and I was only going to be down 15%, I would say, sign me up, right? That's yeah, no kidding. That's that's very good going. So leaning on each other, you know, when, when I get jobs, you have to understand, somebody said to me not too long ago, you know, well, you know, it's only 50% of the fee if I share it with somebody else. But 50% of something is better than 100% of nothing. And getting the job filled, allocating your resources, partnering with other offices has been a critical driver of success for me. I not only... Um, you know, uh, promote it within my offices. I do it myself. And I was the number one exchange owner last year within the system. So um, it's really cool. a lot about, about resource allocation and looking at what you do as a business. Could you elaborate a little on this resource allocation thing? And, and in particular, you mentioned spending time working on the business instead of always in the business. Mm -hmm. And everybody gets that concept intellectually but then applying it and carving out that time, you know, consistently is a challenge because people, of course, need to make money today. But if you're not thinking strategically and working on the business, then you're not going to grow and continue to Im improve your results over time. Mm -hmm. um, so how much time working on the business do you think is required? And then how else do you recommend people allocate their resources? The answer to the first question is that it's really arbitrary. It depends on okay. on how busy you are today, right? Our, our, our days change all the time based on what our desk looks like, right? Are we overwhelmed with jobs? Or do we not have enough jobs on our desk? Do we have to go out and get more jobs? How many of them are quote unquote mm -hmm. premium jobs, right? Because there's nothing worse than chasing down a, a, a dog of a job and doing all this work <laughs> to find out right. that you're not gonna get paid for it, right? Um, so it is really critical. And when I, I, I can't give you a definitive answer as to how much time you need to spend working on your business. But what you need to do, and going back to that business intelligence, first of all, the, 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 the basis of what you need to do is create a specialty, right? Yes. If you're going out there being a generalist, you're wasting mm -hmm. your time. That's not going to give you any advantage unless you're working a local market, right? If you're running around a local market, you can be more yeah. in the staffing business, if you will, um, yeah. which we are not. Um, most of our offices don't do hardly any local business. Um, so it's really a matter of making sure that you establish a specialty. Then you join groups that are within that specialty. Mm -hmm. You have an engine, whether it's automation or it's just being regimented about reaching out to people within your industry and discipline for not a specific reason, not because mm. I have a job today. You have to have an engine that is creating contacts and relationships to make sure that even when you're not, you don't have anything for that person right now, you have a contact. If you can speak logically about your markets, so you've done your research, you have business intelligence, you understand what the trends in the market are, and you have a great opportunity to have a conversation with someone who you don't have a job for them right now, or maybe they don't have a job to give you, but you've made a connection. So creating an engine that 
is 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 doing some of that work while you're out. And and somebody couched it for me um, really well once, and it was sort of a, a military reference. What we do every day is battle on the ground, right? What we need to be successful long term is not only battling on the ground every day, but have air cover, right? Mm. Helping us to see roadblocks, see landmines, making sure that they are doing some work in, in marketing and in social media. There's so much we can be doing on LinkedIn outside of that sort of myopic view of like, I have a job. I have to fill that job right now. And I think we have right. a, a lot of people have blinders on. Yeah. So yeah, um, no, I totally. Helps. And look, you have to yeah. hire. This is a very difficult business to do on your own, especially when jobs mm. are um, are so plentiful right now. You need to share. You need to hire. I've got a couple of phenomenal recruiters who work for me, um, who you know they they, they do very well. Um, they understand their market, um, and there's nothing better as a business owner than somebody making a placement for you that you had nothing to do with. I, absolutely. Look, just I'm looking at time. We're running short on time, but I do want to pick up on that question. How do you decide that it's the right time to hire and expand your business? What what are the uh, triggers or the or the indicators that this is you know now you need to start hiring people? So we prefer to see it not as a reactive. Um, activity, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's something that you have to be proactive with because yeah. if you're trying to be rifle shot and it, it's like predicting the market, right? You just don't know what's going to happen. So dollar cost averaging is the best way to invest long term. Right. You have to be opportunistic. Um, you know, when you see talent that you believe can be successful. Now, we're very interesting, a bit of a different business. We, generally speaking, um, do not hire people with recruiting experience because mm -hmm. my team, I have three people who are, are in charge of training. Um, we hire people who have the proverbial fire in the belly, and we teach them how to turn that into being a successful recruiter. We've hired basketball coaches, police officers, military veterans, people that it's sort of non-traditional mm -hmm. because I can teach you how to be a recruiter. I can teach yeah. you a discipline in an industry. What I can't teach you is that sort of go-getter um, sort of attitude. So I don't like to think what is the right time. I always think you should be trying to hire and then managing correctly, training people properly, and making sure, because let's be honest, if you hire somebody and they're successful, they're going to make a huge difference for you. Set the expectations right when you hire a new recruiter. What are the three, next three, six months going to look like? And unfortunately, if the three to six months, if, if you're not doing what you're going to not, you're, 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 we expect you to do, unfortunately, we're not going to have a long-term relationship. But if you do, you're going to make a life for yourself. So really interesting, Jeff. And I guess you're, as a business, you've got an advantage because you have a training department and um, you're able to help your offices to expand. Um, so in terms of your individual offices, if it's a, a, a solo operator mm -hmm. and you're encouraging them to build their team, um, you know, you're saying always be ready to hire. But what does that actually look like, you know, in terms of their... Um, if they're looking to go from one to two or two to three, mm -hmm. then um, pr what are the practical aspects of that? Like, are they just always on the lookout for someone who might be an asset t to their team or what are, what are you asking them to do as in regards to hiring activity? 
And, and look, I, I, I'm going to tell you, that's what we encourage. Whether or not everybody follows that is a different story. Um, yeah. But uh, look, the first, if you have to come up with a trigger, it's it's explaining to business owners that there's nothing worse than missed opportunity. Yeah. And if you can't capitalize on opportunity, and we have far too many solo operators who've come to me saying, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I've got so many jobs. That's missed opportunity. Um, and even just having a researcher. So I will be honest with you, um, Jenna uh, Blake, who works for me, who's worked for me for 14 years, she is um, my sourcing guru. Um, she helps me with everything. And she's a big part of why I'm able to do what I do on a daily basis, right? I, I, I still fill jobs myself, I do. We divide and conquer every day, who's gonna work on what? Um, mm -hmm. But because I hired her um, 14 years ago, I hired her right out of college. She went to University of Rhode Island. I hired her in July of 2007, and we've grown up together in, in some respects. Um, and we basically share a desk, right? Um, I've hired a couple of other people recently, uh, one in particular um, who, you know, she's a PhD. She uh, is a clinical psychologist. She cool. did. She she wanted to do something different, and we taught her how to leverage that. And she's got this this fire that it, 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 I'm just amazed. Texting me, it's on Saturday night about deals she's trying to close. You know, that's exactly what I look for. And yeah. she's humble enough to know that you know she doesn't know it all. So ideally, Mark, to answer your question, that first trigger is to just be overwhelmed with jobs and realize that there's yeah. nothing worse than, than, than missed opportunity. Do you know, that's a really good way of putting it. I've got a, uh, a coaching client at the moment who's part of my inner circle coaching group who she's looking, she was talking about maybe turning down five or 10 searches. And I said, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? And they're in her niche, they're like, I, they're, they're ideal clients who said, I just can't, I don't have the capacity, I can't deliver. And I'm like, I think it's time you better hire someone because, you know, that just, I, I can't bear the thought of missing out on that level of opportunity. And this could be one of those pivot points where you make a step change and really, you know, transform your business from doing well to it being something, you know, phenomenal. So, um, but I think people are scared to make that, higher um you know what's your thoughts around that because like well what if they don't work out what if you know they're the wrong person it's going to take me all kinds of time to you know coach them and show them the ropes and then that will all be wasted if they end up not working out what's your philosophy around that it's a leap of faith in a lot of respects that you have to understand you're going to have to take we tell everybody that if you hire properly there may very well but this is to operate and we encourage all of our owners most of our owners are um, owner operators right they're making placements every day they're busy they're working in the trenches you may take a short-term hit to your own income mm -hmm. but that long term it's going to build a business so you're building a business not just owning a job Right. And right. we want people mm -hmm. to own and run businesses and to think mm -hmm. through. And so it's really important. Everybody talks about, you know, who did the most revenue last year and, you know, what's the per desk average. And to me, in our business, one of the key components of success is removing the roller coaster. Right. Yes. It's not every day. It's not mm -hmm. up and down and left and right and one month to the next. So mm -hmm. guess what? I had four turndowns last month, but a recruiter of mine made two placements. So, you know, it, it, and it's a perfect way to kind of smooth out those 
troughs, right? So we want to make sure, and that's the, the only way to do that is to have resources to be able to allocate and understand that if I'm, maybe I'm giving a job to one of my recruiters, I'm going to make less, but if I didn't give it to that recruiter, guess what? It wasn't going to get filled. So right. you have to, it comes down to what do you want? I know a lot of recruiters who never want to hire. That's just not who they are, but understand what type of pitfalls that comes along with. Um, so yeah. I understand it's a risk. I believe it's a bigger risk, not the higher. Mm, well said. Well said. Jeff, this has been awesome. Thank you. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Same and uh, listen, we'll we'll make sure that we include the link to your website um, in the show notes. Uh, mm -hmm. Should people look at fpcfranchise.com or fpcnational.com? Well, they can look at both. It depends. FPC okay. National is probably the best destination, but there's a button at the top that says own a franchise um, that right. will take you to our franchise site. So either or, they're kind of one and the same. So, um, All right. Fantastic, Jeff. Well, look, uh, let's keep in touch. And thank you very much for, for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.